J.R. Butler, co-founder of The Shift Group, and you're listening to Merchants of Change. This is a podcast about transferring the skills and behaviors we acquire as athletes into being a professional technology salesperson. Each week, we'll introduce you to a top performer who will help us understand how they became professional merchants of change. What's up, kid? How we doing, Ken? Great to have you on the show. Oh, how you doing, JR? Long time watch. Can't believe I'm a guest. This is great. You do a lot of good things for a lot of people, and I think the timing is perfect for this. Yes, yes. I'm we're excited. So we got Ken Groey on the show today. Um, so, so Ken, for context, right? Merchants of Change, as, as you know, is an episode for new sellers, people who might be considering a career shift into sales. Um, and our mission is pretty simple. We help athletes and veterans uh, become elite sales professionals. Simple goal. Um, and we always like to start with the background. And then we get into kind of, you know, the sales career and lessons for our listeners. Um, so I, I want to start uh, at, at both our cores. We're both mass boys, born and raised. Um, can you just talk a little bit about growing up in a, in a town like Rockland? It reminds me a lot of, of my hometown of Marlboro, Mass. Oh, Marlboro, good, good place. Good, good uh, football teams, too. The Cobras and everything else like that on the semi-pro side. But, uh, yeah, I grew up in Rockland, very proud of it. Uh, the Bulldogs, I had a phrase in my high school yearbook I've used it quite often, is America needs less bull and more bulldog. It's um, <laughs> had a, a very good basketball program, an emerging football program. They had a couple state championships right after I left. I got to play as a sophomore in the state runner-up team. We lost to Dom Sabio, if you remember that Italian um, high school that's part of it. But a great place. Most of my friends I graduated with did one of two things. They either got into construction right away, like uh, sheetrock, you know, small, and then eventually up to subcontractors, et cetera, or they went in the Marines. Literally, that was it. That was um, mostly from my high school. That was it. Few people dabbled in college. But when I got like a, a scholarship to go to Boston College, it was big. We all graduated in the stadium. You know, you can't anything more athletic uh, point than that. And then you can have the, the jets from the nearby Weymouth uh, Air, uh, Naval Base going overhead as you're graduating. So I can't think of a better place to start. But uh, you know, I grew up in Rockland. Uh, the biggest employer in the town was a place called Boston Whaler. Yes, they used to make Boston Whaler unsinkable hull boats in Rockland, Massachusetts. Unfortunately, now it's a Home Depot. Great place, but that's what's there now. It was right off the exit if you ever went down Route 3 or Route 3, as I used to call it, coming from, say, Boston to Cape Cod, which a lot of people have traversed that way. But uh, it was a very hardworking, um, athletics-dominated everything, like I said before, especially basketball was dominated a great uh, basketball coach back there, Bob Fisher, and I was proud to play on the football team that, like I said, was on the Super Bowl. Uh, I think we're uh, they did, di divisions were kind of different back then. We were Division two or three, I think it was, if I remember correctly. We weren't as big as say a Brockton or some of those towns. But uh, great experience. Uh, ironically, one of my best friends' dad was the union steward for Boston Whaler. For those out east, you probably know what a union steward is. Pretty important person for the Teamsters. He got me in the team and I started working at Boston Whaler and a lot of things took after that. But um, yeah, my dad always foresaw me going to sales, you know, large system sales would be great. I just needed a way to get in the door and hopefully we're able to go through that. Getting in the door is the toughest break you need. Your services, JR, can help. Um, there really shouldn't be an intimidation factor for all the people that are in the military or retrofitting out there. First off, thank you for your services. Number two, 
My dad, geez, I was born not on the naval uh, base at Weymouth, but nearby at the Chelsea Naval Hospital, which got burnt down. It's actually where uh, John F. Kennedy wrote Profiles in Courage. What a great book to read. And that's where I was born. I believe it burnt down after that. I was born in 67. But um, what a great place to grow up. Very uh, competitive, very athletic. Um, different times back then. You didn't dare speak out in front of your uh, the peer dads, if that made sense. If your dad <laughs> took a five-second break to go into Kmart or a liquor store is whatever you call a packy, and you acted up, uh, the fellow dads were enabled to uh, correct that action. I won't go into exact details, but it exactly happens. It was that type of mentality, which was great. And people, everyone wanted to be rich, and everyone knew you had to work to get there. And no one was delusional totally. thinking you won the lottery. I mean, everyone bought scratch tickets and mega bucks, <laughs> but everyone didn't think the way to success was through lottery. Everyone thought it was through hard work. They just needed a break. They just needed a break. They'd do the work, yeah. they'd try, um, they'd train on their own. And, you know, we were lucky uh, in Massachusetts, for whatever reason, the figure it out gene exists. People are able to figure it out. Like I didn't really, I've been blessed. A lot of people who work for me didn't sit down and say, I need more training. I need to know how to do this. Tell me what to do this. They knew how to figure it out. And um, it's a tough gene to explain, but that will, if you have the ability, if someone's ever given their compliment in the past, don't be intimidated going into sales. That's the only gene you need to, be able to do. Be able to figure it out. And I'm not saying you can't ask your boss for help. You can, but if you're able to figure it out on your own, You'll be able to thrive in a way and scale in a way that, uh, you know, help generational wealth over time. But great experience. I uh, played a little football in my day. I uh, walked on at BC, didn't make it through the whole freshman year because back then I think it was 175, maybe 6'1". Some of the incoming recruits, if you never heard, ever heard of Mark Chamura, he was 6'5", maybe 6'6", 275. So if you're going to catch the ball really well, but you're at the size deficit versus the incoming, you know, freshmen, I think Mike was out of New Jersey. It wasn't a fair fight. I wasn't fast enough to be a wide receiver. Tom Waddle was that, <laughs> that position when I was there. And I wasn't big enough yep. to be a tight end necessarily. But uh, for flag football, club football, stuff like that, we were good. <laughs> I love it, man. And and listen, I, I, I always tell people I owe a lot to my upbringing in a kind of hard hat and lunch pail type of, type of town like Marlboro, like Rockland, where, you know, like you said, people aren't afraid to, to do what it takes to, to earn um, whatever they can. So, um, I love that. And, and, you know, that figure it out gene, it kind of starts with the, the give a crap gene. Like you have to care first. And if you care enough to be successful, then you're going to figure it out. So I love that. Um, you mentioned how hard the trend, how, how hard like getting in the door can be. So I want to hear yes. a little bit about like, you know, you, you were in Chestnut Hill. Um, it sounds like you kind of had a sense that sales was the path you wanted to take were there were there other sales career path or other career paths that you explored outside of sales yeah like a lot of kids when i was younger i wanted to be an astronaut that was exciting that, that didn't <laughs> uh, present itself to myself all the way through i'm sure when i was 12 years old i wanted to be you know uh starting pitcher for the red Sox or reliever closer for the red Sox. that didn't work out i certainly tried at least dreamed of that 90 percent of what i was thinking about during that period of time i was going through that but as i got into high school i wanted to um become a lawyer. And if you think about it, it was because when I was a young, young kid, my mother would uh, sit me down and say, watch this Perry Mason show. And then there was some other shows, Ironside, uh, later there was Boston Legal, etc. But my point being is I wanted to try important things and persuade, you know, innocence and prove innocence, etc. Well, I went and spent a day, uh, there was a student at Suffolk Law, 
which is a postgraduate uh, legal place who was going through studying for the bar, hosted me for a day. And I sat and met with a bunch of lawyers, which was great. They were great people. But I asked, I go, how often do you actually go and try your case? The answer was, are you kidding me? Like twice a year. What? What do you do all the time? Prepare for cases. Really? That's a clerical job. I don't want that job. I want what I see on TV. Kenny, everything in life doesn't work out in TV and reality. He goes, sounds like you probably want to go into sales. I go, yeah, because in sales, if you're good at what you do and have enough initiative, Jair, you know that you, you led more appointments than anybody. You know, I first met you at ICI, which was a, a, a nice company. But my point being is eight to 12 times a week, you're meeting face to face, belly to belly with someone, convincing them that I have a better path, a better solution. It might have some cost. Might have some costs as far as time, but that's it. Your creativity, your courage, etc. Um, you know, so I, I wanted to get into sales based on the fact I wanted to be in the pressure situation, like a lot of ex-athletes. And again, there's a lot of other athletes you'll interview that had pro careers. I didn't have that. I was just a high school athlete, but people like to be measured. I like to be measured everything. I wear yes. a Fitbit. You know, I go to these I go to these dinners with these customers. I was down in Los Angeles with a couple of CIOs last week. Um, I'd say the company's name, but we have NDAs in place with them. They have great Rolexes and great Breitling-like type watches. I'm wearing a Fitbit. My brothers gave to me when I was 50 years old because I really want to make sure I do 20,000 steps, if you know, on the road per day. I really want to make sure I'm burning 3,500 calories per day every single day, and I track my sleep. So ex-athletes like to be tra uh, tracked. Ex-athletes are used to getting tough feedback, direct feedback. In fact, they didn't even call it tough feedback or direct feedback. It's life. They're used to being coaching. They respond to coaching. Some people, not so much way. So if you're thinking about in career, if you're an ex-athlete or ex-military, you've actually gone through the primer to get ready for the easiest part of life, which is just executing. And I think JR's uh, services can help you execute and open many, many doors. How I got my door open, JR, was uh, being part of the union at Boston Whaler helped me because there was a situation where trade shows, before the internet took off, there was something called trade shows. And I was in the glorious Heinz right. Auditorium. While I was at Boston College, for whatever reason, um, some people go there to party only. Did I have fun? Yes. I went there to get a job, though. I literally went to Boston College to get yeah. a job. My major was in business. That's the reason I went. Did I have enjoyed every nanosecond of it? Yes. While I was there, I needed to make some money to pay for stuff. Even though I had a scholarship that paid for like 80% of it, I had to do some other things. I had to maintain a 3-0, which wasn't that hard. Um, even though BC was a good school. So I would commute on the green line, which takes not the fastest time, into the Heinz Auditorium. And what happened is they needed burst labor. Kenny, there's a trade show coming next week. Get me 200 key people fast. Boom. And think about it. I'm at Boston College. How easy, and this is before they had text. You know, we didn't have cell phones or anything, but I could corral anywhere from one to 200 peers of mine that were typically sophomores, juniors at the time, We'd go to Heinz Auditorium and they'd pay us like 20 bucks an hour to do work, 30 bucks an hour overtime. At the time, minimum wage was 335. So you could either work at McDonald's or Kmart, do a blue-eyed special, make 335, or come here and put together, you know, rugs and, you know, trade show booths. So I was there. I was pretty well known to get the job. I had to be part of the union. And why I was recruited to take the job was that I could get, you know, people who look like me, act like me, who were available like this. Like, if you call me, I'm 56. Call a 56 year old person and say, Hey, can you help me out for 20 bucks an hour at the Heinz Auditorium? The answer is going to click, you know, when, when people used to use the phone versus the text. But I would bring those people in all the time. One of the clients I did a booth for was EMC. 
a guy named Randy Seidel, uh, who runs oh, Sales wow. Community, which is great. He was there, and a guy named Dave Donatelli was there. Um, I think Dave rose all the way to become <laughs> president of Oracle, and Randy ran sales yep. for HP. But back then, I was 19, and they were 21 and 21. And Randy had just been promoted and to run Europe, or you know, at least the UK, United Kingdom. And I, I was amazed. I mean, think about me at Boston College. I, I ran the marketing academy. I had a really high GPA. Um, I was extroverted. And again, I wanted to do career things. So I was running career things all the time. You know, I was getting recruitments from IBM. I work for IBM now, for example, or uh, Gallo Wine, or Black & Decker, or uh, Steelcase Furniture. I was getting recruited by a lot of places, but they were putting in a two-year, three-year training program, training program. You know, with EMC, right. you're on point. You are the company. And you might open up, I inevitably open up, uh, helped open up the Pittsburgh office, but you could do your dream job that you wouldn't get to your late 20s and your early 20s. And that's what you want. You want to be on point. You want to be measured. And if you don't do your job, you're fine with them parting ways with you because that's what you're used to as an ex-athlete or a person in the military. Like I said, my dad was in the Navy, uh, served during Vietnam, and I was born during that period of time in 67 when that had happened. So I was used to that type of stuff. So my big break is I happen to look up and smile and talk with Randy Seidel and Dave Donatelli, who were noticeably younger than everyone else who worked at the trade show booth in the Heinz Auditorium. And um, they said, hey, we're looking for inside salespeople. I didn't know about technology necessarily. I, I had taken some computer science classes, but I didn't know memory arrays. I didn't know all the right. different coding, Pascal. I knew basic, but I didn't know Leslie how to code necessarily. But um, they liked me and I liked them. And um, I took an inside sales job and I started an inside sales job literally that next week. And I'll never forget it. Um, when I went in the sales office, there was a certain positive energy that was in there. I'll never forget that day. I borrowed uh, an uncle's truck, uh, drove a, a small pickup truck out to, uh, I think it was Natick, Massachusetts, Mercer Road, um, which they actually called the training facility within EMC Mercer Road in uh, homage back to that those days. But I went in there. It was just excitement. People getting it done. People running around. Sorry, things are different now with technology, but they had long phone cords. People were screaming, putting on mute, moving around, high-fiving each other, Nerf footballs, just energy. For lack of a better word, energy and instructive energy, people cheering for each other, not trying to cut people down, just positive energy. And you were literally seeing a bunch of ex-athletes, ex-competitors um, thriving in an environment that's made sense. So that was my big break. And uh, what I would say is there's never a perfect time, but you, when you this door opens for you, you got to go. You got to go. I remember, quick example, my brother Kevin, which is a skinnier, better looking version of me. He runs, uh, I think it's Columbus and Cleveland, still for EMC, now Dell. He called me up one day. He was living in a triple decker. For those who are listening, you probably know what a triple decker is. A triple decker in Quincy. And he's like, I'm working at Scudder. I'm doing nothing. I make X per hour. All I do is they measure if I have 14 minute breaks or 15 minute breaks per day. I'm doing nothing. I'm in a career cul-de-sac. Kenny, what's your job like? And I told him what we did. He goes, well, that's challenging. But then I told him what they get paid. He goes, let me get this straight. They pay you like 22 grand in base salary. But if you work really hard and you sell a lot, you can make, and I'll say a couple hundred thousand dollars at that time. Yes. He goes, do they have like a training program? Well, at the time they did. Yes. So I go, you got to do it. Um, but all I ask, you better show up on time. You better, better dress the role. Don't embarrass me. And then, then the sales pitch I gave must have been good. And this is by a speakerphone to my brother. He grabbed his best buddy, Chris Long. Both of them, I think Kevin's been at EMC or now in technology for 25 years. 
And his buddy, Chris Long, has been there for 25 years. They've been at Forsyth, VMware, Network Appliance. Kevin stayed uh, consistent in EMC. But all, all Kevin had done is he went out of high school, did sheetrock for 10 years, um, finished up classes at UMass Boston, um, was in his late 20s when he finished college, which was great. But he was ready. He was game ready, ready to go. And I think like that, he called me on a Thursday. That Monday, he's interviewing, and I think it was Tom Heiser's office, and got a job right away, and it just got from there. So that was the point. You gotta, it's not just the door has to be open. You have to be run, willing to run through it. Um, sorry, I'm thinking of the totally. image a long time ago. You can look it up on YouTube. But before all these MMA fighters, there was a guy named Clubber Lang. People might know him from the Rocky movies. I know him as Mr. T. He was just a bouncer in Chicago, and they used to have this competition on TV, and he ran through the door, you know, shoulder first, busted right through it. If you go through the door like Mr. T did, you want to Google that video, that's that's the type of mentality you need because the, no, if someone opens the door for you and you don't grab it, they're not going to be inclined to do it the second time, a third time, or fourth time. Kind of like you, JR. Like when you work with Jamie and team like that, they didn't give you the best accounts day one. You had to earn that. For lack of a better word, you right. had to shine shoes and you know, uh, yeah. do you know, do do the, the less glamorous stuff to earn the right that they they had to make sure that you wouldn't embarrass them first, and then you could drive incremental value later. So they were watching, yeah. waiting for you to thrive, and that's what you do from a business when you're able to hire people at the point of the market where, in theory, you're making money on them. They want people that might be listening to this this podcast, video cast right now. They want people like you because it makes the business thrive. And it's their future farm yep. system, their future AAA player, their next replacement. Hey, if you're watching ESPN right now, you're probably seeing, oh, my God, every second there's a new free agent. I just saw Darius Slade just got waived. My goodness. He was the captain of the, of the uh, Philadelphia Eagles, and somehow we got in a bad disagreement, and he's waived. So now he's up for auditioning all around. So I guess my point is be ready for the door to open, but when it's there, you got to jump. you got to go right through it, crash through it. Like I know your mentality from the second I met you, JR. You were willing to do that. So very long answer, yeah. but uh, hopefully I covered a lot of things there. No, that was awesome. I'm glad you hit on those early days at, at EMC too, because, um, you know, it's such a, it's such a great like downline of leadership there. You obviously, you know, spent 25 years. That's how we met. Um, and you talked about some of those lessons that you, you had there, which is awesome. I, I'd be curious to know, Ken, like, Looking back in those early days, you know, your first five, ten years of your career, is there anything that, that you do over if you had the chance? I know I definitely have some things that I would have maybe done a little differently, but anything that jumps right out at you of like, ah, I, I probably would have done more of this or, 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 or anything like that? Um, great question. Just as far as how I controlled my life, um, I practiced. Uh, one of my mentors, Jeff Goldberg, told me, Ken, if you had a choice – of taking a customer out for a steak dinner or writing an ROI for them, what actually advances your customer? Do the ROI. My answer to Jeff was always do both. <laughs> because if you take a steak dinner, you'll <laughs> yeah, find exactly. Do both. You know, what's that from trading places? Crack crab or lobster, right? Uh, but to answer your question, I invested in myself. <laughs> um, when they moved me to Pittsburgh, this might sound corny, but I would practice at night. I'd work late at night. I'd walk around the office, practice presentation. Um, when I had like a distinguished executive coming in town, like a Harry Dixon or a Bill Scandal, hopefully their future guests for you guys, incredibly mentors for me, you're going to laugh at this. I literally went around the city of Pittsburgh practicing how we're going to go from meeting to meeting to meeting because I'm not from Pittsburgh. 
I met my wife here, been happily right. married for 30 years. She's great. But we pra- I practiced walking people around. So I looked the part. I was professional as part of the part. So the answer question, I would practice. I would rehearse. I don't regret that. That was good. So investing in three t- attributes, a um, couple, couple or innate, and then I'll talk about one thing I, I lament. Um, courage. Courage is number one. If you, if you go into sales, you don't have courage, you're not going to make it. So in the old days, yeah. uh, we used to have EMC events at Champions Bar in um, Copley area. And the, the, all, all the district managers were deciding who they're going to hire for inside salespeople. And they're looking at talents. They weren't looking at their resumes. They were looking at how they interacted with their peers. If they're a single, were they willing to ask someone to dance on the dance floor? Didn't matter if they were a bad dancer. Didn't matter if it was a bad song. Did you have the guts and guts but to ask someone to dance? And ironically, that's how I met my wife. I asked someone to dance in Pittsburgh. I didn't know a soul at that time. So courage, <laughs> number two, em- number two, empathy. And I apologize. Most people in Boston aren't good at empathy. Um, actually yeah. listening to the other person, caring, thinking through, being in their shoes. That's one that I probably could have improved over my career earlier. And I'm still struggling to get better in it every single day. Heck, as a dad, I can improve on my empathy skills. So courage, empathy, and the last one I talk about this a lot, curiosity. I went back and got my executive MBA at Stanford. It took me three times to get in. When I met with Mark Leslie, the former CEO of Veritas, who wanted me for a particular job, what I passed on, when I met with him at his house, he said, Ken, you get no chance of getting into Stanford. You're not an astronaut, and you don't have a gold medal around your, uh, your chest for Olympics. You got no chance. We're so, you have a 3% chance of getting in here. I ended up getting in there. When I got in, it was my late 40s, early 50s when I went through that period of time. I was 30 years older than everyone else in the whole class, which was fine. But my point being is there was a natural curiosity. There was something missing in my life that I want to get out there. So the one thing I, I lament, even though I moved like five times for work, I didn't move for opportunities enough. And I, I know in COVID, those may not present themselves enough. But the ability like, sorry, I'll keep on using my brother. And I'll use my other brother, Dennis. Um, hey, Dennis, we have an opening for you in inside sales, but it's in Philadelphia. Great. I'll be there. It was a lot of drama. And I had a beautiful right. girlfriend. He ends up being his wife. He had to work things out with her. Um, my brother, Kevin, when he moved to Columbus, Ohio, well, my lease is in Massachusetts. What am I going to do? We'll figure it out. And, but don't, don't, don't mess up the hiring manager with all those details. So what I would say is, and moves different in 2023, JR. It doesn't mean you have to physically move sometimes, but you might have to move to a different position in the job. I've hired so many interns throughout the years that end up going to customer success, even though they might have started as a BDR, which is a really tough job. Just to be clear, a BDR or an SDR job, it's a tough job, but it's the litmus test. It's, it's yeah. you can't win, you can't win the World Series of Poker if you can't win your local poker game. You've got to win the local poker game to get in there. You can't, you know, be the general in the army if you can't make it through basic training. You got to earn your stripes as a BDR, SDR, and that's a glamorous position. What they pay you for what you do is incredible, but that's a hardworking Crazy. activity. And your only boss is the mirror. Go to the mirror every second. Look, what am I doing to be as productive as possible every nanosecond of time? And I'm sure your skills can improve that all out there. But I, I, I lament not moving quicker. I'm not a typical California person. I barely know how to surf. Um, I use SUP instead, even though I live near the ocean. But it's just, I put myself in an opportunity to thrive. I, I live near Silicon Valley. I get opportunities because of Silicon Valley. Um, if I was a lawyer, you know, I'd move to a different place. If I was a finance person, I'd move to New York City. If I was a politician, I'd move to DC. But, you know, I, I'm a tech entrepreneur at heart from way back when. So I moved to Silicon Valley and, uh, 
So whether it's physical move, mental move, or virtual move, find a way if you have great curiosity skills, emerging empathy skills, and incredible courage skills, this is the job career for you. And JR, you, your mentorship would help them get there. I love it. I love it. I, I couldn't agree more with those three. In fact, one of the reasons we see a lot of success for our female candidates is empathy tends to come a little bit more naturally to them than than their male counterparts. So I've always seen really successful female uh, sellers because of that empathy piece. And the curiosity is key because the the industry is changing so quickly. You always have to kind of just, just stay on top of you know, learning, learning, like being a lifelong learner. Um, and actually, believe it or not, Ken, the move thing is very relevant for our audience because the, when the market turned in, you know, early 2022, um, a lot of these remote jobs went away and we were dealing with a lot of candidates coming out of school and saying, well, I want, I, want, I only want to work remote. And, and I tell them, I'm like, listen, if remote work is the only reason you want to do sales, it's, it's not going to be a fun ride for you. Like if you're young, you don't have a mortgage, you don't have family that's in school somewhere, you've got to go to the, to the Boston's, the New York's, the Austin, Texas's and the Bay area. Like that's where the opportunity is. Um, so it's actually very relevant. And actually on that note, Ken, I'd be curious to know like a beat. So a BC kid calls you now and they're thinking about going into sales. What are you advising them? Um, on in terms of like the company, the type of company, the type of opportunity um, that they should be looking for very specifically for their first job? Like what are some of the characteristics that you would advise on for that first that first job? Well, I was thinking about this. I, I think I'd say it, you might've heard other guests might've said it, but sales is the most rewarding, hardworking job in the world, it is the lowest paying lazy job in the world. So when no one's looking around, I'm going to talk about this mirror again. If you're considering sales, look in the mirror and realize your weaknesses, realize your strengths. But it is the lowest paying. Sorry, most of the people who work for me or work for any people, uh, whatever take away your market rate is, they pay you half in base, half. And then you earn your other half as far as commission as part of it. So I, what you said, I've done that for many. I've been blessed because of my connections with the union and Boston Whaler. And then I had so many people working with me at BC. And then when I went to EMC, they knew I could get people quick. I've been buying, sorry, I've been creating burst labor and opportunities forever. Um, I was so happy the other day when one of my men mentees, Jeff Reel, let me tell you about this story for five seconds. 1999, my best friend at my wedding, I was his best man and he was my best man, a guy named Jimmy Reardon, still my best friend. We talk almost every day. He calls me up, he goes, I need a guy, Jeff Reel, he's an ex-athlete, all-time leading rusher at Northeastern, all-time uh, touchdown. Uh, creator at Northeastern, unfortunately, they, uh, stopped the program since then. But, you know, played for Barry Gallup. Um, great, great, great guy. But he was a little rough around the edges. He hasn't been in technology. His dad owned a rug store. Rug store. Installed carpets and stuff like that. I brought him in. I won't go into exact details how bad his first day at work is, but let's just put it away. It was rough. But he moved around. <laughs> I brought him in. Sorry, I will paid him 40 grand a year. All in. 40 grand, his first job in 1999. Yeah. That was a boom year. 40 grand all in. Yeah. Now, you might say that's not a lot in tech. You're right. But compared to where he's at, being a, a, you know, a rug maker's assistant, 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 it was double what he was going to make. And it was a better job. Um, longer commute. He didn't complain about it. Never complained once. Figured out his own stuff. Just started doing quotes. Just online quotes for the people who were traveling because they were going boom, 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 boom. He moved all the way up. 
worked through six jobs. That young man, um, two things, just created a company recently, sold the company for, I won't go the exact details, but you know, seven figures, well into seven figures uh, that he liked personally, which is great. And his daughter, to keep things going, his daughter just won an award for equivalent of the female Heisman. Um, and she was on the UCLA soccer team that won the national championship. It's incredible. But he started out really, 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 really rough, which is great. So they can always move up as part of it. But no, I get that call from interns a lot. Um, my One of my best friends, Paul McGee, his son, Will, is coming out. He's trying to decide sales versus finance. My advice I gave to him, he goes, if you're still in college, you better get an internship while in college now. Now. Oh, I got to get my grades up. Okay, great. Grades are really important, but over a certain amount, you know, when I'm interviewing people between a three and three, seven, it really doesn't matter. Okay, a one, seven, that matters. But, you know, between a three and three, seven matters. Um, if you graduate in five, five and a half years versus four, you can get past that. I mean, people go deal through things in family. This particular person had his own mother pass away from an illness. I was at the funeral, obviously. And then his own older brother um, had an unfortunate accident. The reason why I wear a band on my, my arm. There's some, some reasons he went through from being a, a scholarship wrestler at Old Dominion. Then he went over to Ohio U as a Bobcat. But he goes, what can I do to set myself different for someone in college when he graduates? I go, here's the here's what you do differently. Get an internship. He was intern, going to get an internship at Dell. And he was going to have to go down to Austin for the summer. Okay. For the record, going down to Austin and being an intern in finance or sales isn't as fun as being a bartender at Putin Bay. You know where Putin Bay it is? You can look it up. It's in Ohio. It's by Sandusky, by the roller coaster, Cedar Point. That's not as fun. But if he keeps on doing that bartending thing, when he comes out at, you know, at the end and wants a job, he'll lose to someone who took the job going to Austin and become an intern. An example, my daughter, Olivia, she's got, she works for Fortinet. She was an intern at four different places in college. One of them, Zoom, Zoom, you know, the thing that almost everybody uses for everything. You know, she was a competitive advantage versus everybody else. She was doing internships at Barracuda right after they went public when she was 16 years old in high school. You know, she happened to have an incredible high GPA. Wow. She went to Boston College. She was an Eagle as well. Double major. But the fact that she had four internships, all at startups, one of them Zoom, she was a very highly touted and she's compensated well for what she does, which is great. But like that's competitive advantage out there. So if you're willing to do the internships to get ready that, um, and then as you're cutting out, I would go to a company if you could, maybe not the biggest company, but the fastest moving company. If you go to my LinkedIn, it's not these trees behind it. It says the word fast company. I was profiled by fast company one time. A company that moves fast, is able to promote you fast, put you in a training program fast. Remember my own decision. Did I want to go work for, geez, I work for IBM now, but like, did I work for IBM and go through a training program for two years? No. Don't work for AT&T and go for a training program two years. I want to be on the ground running as soon as possible. I want to control my own destiny. So, um, yes, a place that has a training program could accelerate you fast. And you might want to even check yeah. it out. You know, what did the, what did the biggest, most successful, most successful salespeople and sales rainmakers, what do they look like, act like? What are their backgrounds? If you're a, I'm sorry, Salem State grad, at 29, we had to do some things for the family, and that's awesome. I'm with you. If you're listening right now, I'm with you. But you go to a company that everybody is 22 years old in the field, and they all went to Harvard, you got to look for a different place. What I loved about you know right. some of the places I went at, there were a lot of BC grads, a lot of URI grads, a lot of UMass grads, a lot of people where their dads were construction workers or plumbers, like my dad. Um, you know, 
you could thrive. People talked about sports. People talked about competing. People weren't didn't back down from playing liars poker or hey, I'm gonna go dance for five minutes. You dance for five minutes. Let's make fun of each other. We're both really bad, but let's see who's worse at doing. Let, let's who, who's gonna work? You, you know, the ugliest sweater in Christmas. Who's gonna have the worst Hawaiian shirt? You know, whatever's necessary. But the ability to compete and be on stage um, is a big driver. So hopefully that answers your question. That would be the advice I'd give them. But if someone's toggling in college between most people know they want to go into sales if for the reason they don't want to, same reason with me. I, I wanted to be Ironsides. I want to be Perry Mason, but I didn't want to do it twice a year. I want to do it 40 times a week. So that sales right. lets you be on stage 40 times a week. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like that idea of like fast. Like we talk about growth. We talk about, you know, learning opportunities, getting a lot of experience. But I think describing it as getting those things fast is a really good way to put it. Um mm -hmm. Any, any, like, any advice on, um, in terms of, you know, ways you can figure that out when you're interviewing, right? Like, any questions you can ask that, that, that'll tell you whether or not that company's going to be fast, fast well, Jay, enough for using, you. Yeah, I'm sure using your services, you'll prepare them really, really well with probably totally. three pages worth of notes. I'm old school. I oh, should yeah. use a pen and paper. Um, I'm sure then the modern people use probably iPads, et cetera. Yeah. So, but some of the questions yeah. I would ask is, would you like me to, I would like to talk to some of your successful people and, and interview with what they went through during the period of time I was going through. Um, you have to be careful HR okay. wise. You can't ask the question, what are the age of the people that are doing? What, you know, but you can you say, can I talk to two or three of the people that are doing really well that might've moved up through the ranks? Um, I, yeah. I love the fact when someone starts as inside sales and goes all the way up, it's really good for the fabric and the culture of a company. When you can look at someone, sorry, I was at, talk about EMC and Dell all the time. People respected Billy Scannell because he did almost every job in the company before he got that job. When I worked for him, he was a district manager doing the grind, taking a 4 a.m. flight to go meet with me to go go talk to Latrobe, Pennsylvania at Kenna Metal, which makes <laughs> craftsman tools to go do an $800,000 deal and then 12 other meetings that day and then fly back that night. You know, so um, yeah. the people, they give me some sacrifices. This, you know, sales is a position. You'll laugh at this. If, if, if Hollywood was going to make a movie, and I was at Hollywood last weekend for my daughters, uh, it was down there to see Billy Joel and Stevie Nicks, and then I spent some time with uh, on, on the lots or whatever. If they're going to do a movie, it would be a dad who shows up to the game, but he's always on the phone, always on the phone, and they make fun of it. Now they have these uh, Apple AirPods everywhere. You can't be the coach, though. So here's the downside. If you're going to be an athlete that turns into sales, you won't be able to coaching your football team in high school at uh, 3 o'clock. You won't be able to run practice at 5.30. Some people listen to me like, but that's after hours. You won't be able to do that. Will you make every game? Yes, but you'll be in the stands on the phone, probably in your mind thinking, shoot, I can be coaching so much better. Well, I agree, but those are different jobs. Those are different yeah. jobs. You know, there's any given second, and my family knows, my wife, God bless her, knows this. Any given second, you get a call, you got to take it. Because, you know, like I said, yeah. when the door opens, it's always, it was winter in sales. You never know what next deal can cure cancer. What next deal sets up generational wealth? I've been, done a few deals that you get paid $400,000 for a transaction. Personally, I got involved with a yeah. prior company, let's say the company name. We provided a parallel file system to a company called Pfizer and Weka. I mean, I'm sorry, I just said the company name. I should have said that. And Moderna. And they were able to actually put together the reason we're not wearing masks right now. So that's... Pretty right. involved stuff. It's not like, 
well, I'm be able to sell this, this box that does blah, 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 and I get a $2,000 commission. No, if you're real good in sales, you're making half a million dollar commissions and maybe a million dollars per year if you're the best in your trade and they do tend to do that and you make really relevant information. You might be involved with the next mission that goes to Mars. I got blessed because one of my customers, Elon Musk, not him personally, but his uh, one of his director of commercial business gave me a tour along with my wife of SpaceX. It was amazing. You go through SpaceX, there's all these people wearing shirts like Occupy Mars, single mission JR, and they're all got ratchets, like half inch and five inch ratchet, working on like a engine that's gonna go to Mars someday. It's the most so incredible cool. environment, all blue collar, all doing real work because they have more of a passion. No, no disrespect, they probably could have been mechanics at the nearby BMW dealership. But how's your soul feel good about that, that Mrs. Mrs. Jones got a BMW in two and a half days on a transmission repair versus right. they put like ratcheted something that's going to Mars. So if we ever burn out this beautiful you know, orb that we call the Earth, there's a place for us to live in the future. Or at least just like, just like yeah. NASA. Not everyone went to the moon, but everyone benefited with some of the inventions we needed to make for us to get ready to go to the moon. So I think Absolutely. you know, sales is incredible if you have the opportunity cost, you think you can do anything. So hopefully that connects with some people listening to your uh, video blog right now. Absolutely, and I and, and I, I really like the uh, the analogy there with the with the pharmaceutical companies. I, we always talk about like, listen, you're selling a product with features and functions, and, and you should know those cold. But what you really need to become an expert at is is what are the problems and priorities of your customer, and what does an acquisition or an investment in your product or solution mean for their business? What are what are you enabling and empowering them to achieve? Right, and and in some cases. It's it's like really really meaningful like like the example you gave I talk a lot about big deals I did at hospital systems where you know we we improved patient care we brought costs down for patients because of saving them money or you know in the case of, of big companies you know we got we created jobs uh, because we we drove savings in their data center that they could then spend on more people right like so there's think about those outcomes um, coupled with the fact that you get paid very handsomely to do to drive to drive those outcomes for your customers it's a it's a really cool career when you think of it that way and you don't think of it as you know pitching and convincing people to do something it's really helping them solve problems and achieve priorities for their business so cool for those who are watching your thing it's a quick test it sounds like some of your people are having you know uh, you know a little bit of trepidation doing sales versus another type of staff job. And again, I'm not putting down staff type jobs. Well, I kind of am by using the word staff out there, but you control your own destiny. Quick, quick litmus test. If someone throws you a pen, how would you sell them the pen? If you look at the pen and say, oh, it's a shiny Mount Blanc. It's made, it has a special crystal on the top. And you talk all about the features of the pen, you probably should go to that staff job. If you start to talk about the prestige of what you want to send as an image of a person that would use that pen, or even better, what do you do for a living? What do you do for a living? What's your use case? If you're able to ask what the impact and your as is in 2B, run to sales, run to sales. But you have to know why someone's using it. That's a, that's a really good analogy. I, I love the uh, sell, sell me this pen. It's awesome. I got that asked in one of my first interviews. Um, I guess this is. Uh, we have a few final questions for you, Ken, and I'm really curious about this. What are, What are you most proud of from your career so far? You've had an unbelievable career. What When you think of that question, what's the first thing that that pops into your brain? 
the amount of opportunities I'd be able to open for other people. So um, I tagged you in my post the other day. I was so excited on a Saturday when Jeff Reel announced the world. A few days after his press release, he was able to sell his company, ServeIQ, which he's staying involved in and providing for all his employees, which is incredible. And he's actually invited me to a party um, this Friday, which I can't make it out to. It's just I'm in California. I'm doing work, but I can't just do that as part of it. Um, I was so happy to tag so many different people that were either my inside salespeople or who literally asked me the question that some of your clients might ask you. I've heard sales is well paying, but you think I can do it? I had my college roommate, John Milspa, uh, asked me about this before as a sophomore, as a sophomore in college. He goes, well, I've been doing uh, nursing forever and that's a great job, but can I make into sales? So many people went through. So I guess I would say is like a boat that drives a big wake. Some people have helped me and I try to pay it back by giving them an awful lot of breaks. So um, I'm proud about two things. The fact that I'm able to post really quickly 30 people that are now CROs or CEOs yeah. that have created generational wealth that I remember them the second they approached me. Remember Mike DeLuca? He was a, a friend of mine at Boston College. Kenny, my major's in marketing. I'm not sure I'm right for sales. He's now the CEO of Hearst Media. And that's Unreal. pretty cool. Tracy, Tracy Hallam, she goes, ah, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure um, I'm right for this EMC mindset. I'm not sure I'm right for tech. She's now the CEO of Vital Proteins. Vital proteins. Amazing. Go to a CVS. Go to any <laughs> store in the world, and there's a blue container saying, "Put two scoops every day." I took two scoops today. She's the CEO of that company now. That's unbelievable. So I'm proud of that, and then I'm proud of one other thing. Even my own daughter's caught this one day. If you go to my LinkedIn, there's about 30 unsolicited recommendations. Those folks are all colors, all ages, all genders. Some were customer service. Some were solution engineers. These said some nice things about me. Um, if I'm able to give, so I'm a, I'm a girl dad. I have three daughters. Uh, one's in yeah. technology, two are, one's in social work, one's going to go to um, medical school. Um, but, uh, and correspondingly, they were Cornell undergrad, UCLA uh, undergrad, and Boston College undergrad. And my, 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 our oldest is in case, uh, as far as uh, doing social work, is at a case Western on a scholarship for a dual major, which is incredible. My, my point being is, um, I'm proud of the breaks and opportunities I gave because as a plumber's son, I got a break to start my whole career too. So hope that helps. And you had some other questions. That's amazing. Yeah. So these are, we ask everybody, every guest, these two questions. The first one is uh, obviously you've had an awesome career. So you have some skills that have served you really well as a as a salesperson specifically. If we ask you to highlight one of your skills that makes you a, an elite seller, what do you think that skill is, Ken, for you? Um, that was identified in my latest review by my boss, uh, former CEO of Taos, the startup that I had joined. It was been acquired by uh, IBM. So in our review, and by the way, feedback's a blessing. I thrive on it. I hope other people do as well. But he's basically said to me, your superpower, that's a big phrase these days, your superpower, you can take a scientific American topic or a Wall Street Journal topic and make it easily understandable for a USA Today type generation. I took that a complete compliment. So yes. when you get into tech, they're gonna, you're going to be selling a sliver of something, a sliver of something. You're not going to have something that sell the whole data center or the whole cloud solution. Even AWS sells slivers. I mean, you don't, you're going to sell a portion of something. The ability to break it down so that someone not in tech can understand it easily and not just understand what it does, what it does for someone, the why. You know, people know how work for the people who know why. So that, and then I kind of put that on steroids. 
I'll make a whiteboard video about it. I have some uh, animation skills. I'm not a full animation expert, but I can put together a 60-second whiteboard video real easily. So if there's a really complex topic, I can break it down to a USA Today front page, top part, type boiler part, and, and make it really, really helpful. And then I can do a whiteboard video that explains it. Because remember, a lot of sales isn't selling to the person. It's helping the person get conviction inside the company to help them. Because that person may not be a highly trained salesperson. That person might have right. trouble evangelizing in, you know, the old days when you actually went in buildings. So, you know, some of the people you might be buying to might be more introverted. Myers-Briggs, they might not be an ENFJ like I am. They might yeah. need some help. You know, the old days, you'd run around and grab support, um, you know, breaking pizza at night, doing some of this. Well, in COVID, you have to be able to show everything with an ROI and be able to do it. The ability, like my mentor, Jeff Goldberg, said, the ability to help someone justify a solution in their company is 80% of what I do. And over time, what you'll spend more time, how can I help you create your justification so you get it through your company, so you be a mini version of me in the company without me in the room? You know, that's, I'm fairly helpful in that. I'm still getting better on that. But uh, that would be, I'd say, my special skill, breaking down complex topics to easily understand be able to put into a whiteboard video that's cartoon based that really, really helps people understand. And that video is customized so they can use it within the company so they can use it as if we made it especially for them, which we did. And you get a better outcome because of it. But great question, JR. Probably your best. I love it. I love it. That's so good. And it's so true, man. We, we actually do an exercise for every company that uh, our candidates interview for. They have to do a video explaining what the, what the company does to someone at a bar. That's what we say. We like, like, how would you explain this to someone at a bar in like 60 seconds? Because if you can't do that, then you, you haven't done the research and you don't really understand what they do. If you're, if you're reading buzzwords, if you're, you know, like it's clear you're just regurgitating what you read on their LinkedIn, then you don't understand it. So that's an awesome superpower. Um, all right. Last question. So, uh, Ken, my father was a hockey coach, um, and he used to tell me and my brothers when we were little, um, a lot of people play hockey, but there's not a lot of hockey players. And what he meant by that was this idea of like becoming a professional, meaning like, you know, having it in your bones and, and, and like really making it a part of who you are. And, um, what we say in, 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 in our parlance is if somebody's, really good at sales, we call them a pro. We think it means it's the highest praise you can give a salesperson. So what does being a pro in sales, what does that mean to you? Very easy litmus test. If a prospect would go to your LinkedIn and be impressed to buy from you, you're a pro. If someone goes to your LinkedIn, like you look strong, doesn't matter, you'd be 100 pounds. My wife just went by, tried, came by, she probably weighs 100 pounds right now. If It doesn't matter physical stature. <laughs> if you look strong, You've got the credentials. You have customers giving you recommendations in your LinkedIn. You have posts to work groups on your LinkedIn. Not like liking a post from a CIO. Who cares? But you're giving thought leadership posts to a, a, a actual group in LinkedIn that your CIO belongs to. So believe it or not, the CIO you're selling to, if that's who you're selling to or whoever you're selling to, is actually going to LinkedIn, finding material, and then realizing it, oh my goodness, the salesperson who's calling on me is the one that's enlightening me that I'm reading in my off hours. So if you have substantial thought leadership articles posted and you belong to communities and you have recommendations from customers, that's what a pro is. Because, because history, over time, history proves validity. And 
sorry, leaders have followers. I, I think I got I think I got twenty nine thousand nine hundred followers. That's a good sign. I've hired a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of those people have outranked me. They're now CEOs. They're now presidents. I'm just a CRO. So the fact that if you go to someone's LinkedIn and you go, damn, that person deserves my respect and I'd be proud to stand up in a room in front of my peers and say, I bought from that person. That's it. Yeah. And yep. you can probably tell. Subject I'm a fan of LinkedIn because one of the startups I ran, LinkedIn was our biggest customer. So when I joined the company, it was $2.4 million. And within six months, we were $100 million. $60 million of that was LinkedIn. They had to buy a little flashcard, tiny little flashcard called Veridin. It's Latin for green. You probably never heard of it, but it's got bought right away. But we sold $65 million like that to LinkedIn because they wanted to minimize latency. You might, what's that? You don't want to be hourglassing when you're giving an endorse button. Right. So if someone watches this and says, well, you know what, JR? He's opening a lot of doors for people, ex-athletes, people in the military, and he's, he's allowing retraining. What he's doing is, is a great American and what a great business. He's filling a niche. And I, I'm cheering for this guy. I, I want to do really well. I mean, you really moved your stature all the way through. But if you're doing all that and you hit the endorse button or you add some skills and you hourglass, you'll be mad at LinkedIn and you won't do it. And you might want to say, well, that's not a big thing. In 2013, that got me a meeting with Jeff Weiner, the actual CEO of LinkedIn. It was a problem. If you remember, Facebook was Amazing. moving from on computers to mobile and the like, L-I-K-E, the like button was taking off. The endorse button, you have with that. Yeah. So it was all about late. latency is the ability to do something, but something's going to get in your way from not doing it. So the aptitude and the energy to do it, but you can't do it. Latency stinks. It's like why, why on the weekends I'll go to an Amazon Go store and pay more because I don't want to wait in line. I don't want latency in my life. You never know. I could cure cancer with some breakthrough idea or find a way to cure speed of light or something like that. I probably won't, but I think I might. So... But great questions, JR. Great way to uh, finish it up. I love it. Ken, this was awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, man. This is going to be an awesome episode. We really appreciate you giving us the time, buddy. And, and it's great to catch up. Um, thank you so much for joining us. No trouble. I'll see you in lunchtime Friday. I try to post every Friday some sales tips. Um, thanks for what you're doing, JR. You're investing in a lot of great people. Thank you. Thank you. This wraps up this episode of Merchants of Change. If you enjoyed this episode, the most meaningful way to say thanks is to submit a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in working with us, please come find us at www.shiftgroup.io.